All right, Titus chapter 2. Let me read uh, the first eight verses uh, for us this morning. Titus chapter 2, verse 1, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So we're talking here, um, we began talking about discipleship last week, and here in Titus 2, we have uh, this model of discipleship where Paul is exhorting the older men to exhort or encourage the younger men and the older women to exhort the younger women. Speaking of that, next, next Saturday, uh, we, we'll have Titus 2 men and Titus 2 women. So there's a, in your bulletin, there's a tear-off. So guys, we're going to meet here at 8 o'clock. We're going to have breakfast tacos. And I think actually we may uh, do a little yard work. Brian McNulty is uh, uh, going to line us out, I think, on some things. And we'll get here, have some breakfast tacos. The ladies are going off somewhere to eat donuts or something. I don't know what they're doing. But, um, so uh, sign up. Come on out, guys. Uh, bring your sons, women. Br- take your daughters. And uh, come out next Saturday here at 8 o'clock. We'll have some breakfast tacos. And then we'll, uh, we'll uh, fellowship together. And I will say this. Uh, there is a project that we're going to do coming up here sometime in the near future. Miss Bussey, who is quite elderly, she's not able to come to church. Um, she lives uh, on Booth Street, and she's got a huge pecan tree in her backyard that is dead. And uh, there's concern that it, it could, in a windstorm, fall onto her house. So we're going to schedule, and we'll probably plan on doing this. Maybe next Saturday we'll kind of get all the guys together and schedule a time. And one Saturday morning, we'll just all converge on her house. And some of you guys that have experience, some of you guys that are experienced lumberjacks, um, y'all will make sure that us non-experienced lumberjacks don't poke a hole in her roof, okay? (laughs) And we'll have a great time. So we'll be a blessing to her. And and, um, So just to kind of give you a heads up, that's going to be coming up here sometime in the near future. So next Saturday, come on out, men and women, and... um, and let's uh, come together and, and live life together. Amen? All right, so here in uh, Titus chapter 2, this is what Paul is, is talking about, this, this model of how we live life together. We call it a model of discipleship. And so we see in this that discipleship's not a formula. Uh, it's really a lifestyle. Paul is not talking about a formula here. He's not giving us these steps to follow. He's saying this is how you live life together. Older men, live life with the younger men. Exhort them, encourage them. How do we do that? Notice in verse 1, he says to Titus, but as for you, speak the things. So we do this through our words. Even right now as I'm speaking to you, this is affecting, this is facilitating discipleship. But this is not what discipleship is totally and completely about. This is a part of it. But if this is the only part of discipleship that you ever participate in, then you are going to be really lacking. But so we see this word, speak. I want to take you down to verse 7, and I want to show you another word or point out to you another word where Paul says, in all things, showing yourself. So there there is a way that we are to speak. There are things that we are to speak, and we're to speak in a way that that causes men to be 
sound in doctrine and sound in the faith, but we can't just speak these things. Paul says, Titus, encourage the men to show themselves to be a pattern or a form or a dye of good works. You guys know what a dye is? Did y'all see that they, they uh, got a picture of Bigfoot? Who saw that? No, y'all didn't see that? These high school kids in Idaho, uh, they, they were out doing something, and they got, they got video of Bigfoot. It looked pretty convincing. And they, they actually got a, a dye cast of his foot. And so this is what a dye is. He says, showing yourself to be a pattern or a dye This is what, okay, we're going to take a cast of your life, and this is what you're to show these younger men. Your life is not to just speak, but it's to show them what a true disciple is, what a faithful follower of Christ is. And so we speak, but we also show. Kind of like show and tell. Did y'all ever have show and tell when you were in school? Didn't y'all love show and tell? So show and tell is much more effective if you can, what? Tell and show, or show and tell. So he says, this is what he's saying. He says, speak, but also show. Show and tell. Talk it, but also walk it. Live it. And so this not, it's not a formula. It's a lifestyle. Life is organic. So discipleship needs to be not just a formula, but it needs to be an organic way of living, a lifestyle. Now, life has order, right? Life has order, life has systems, life has principles that govern it. But if we look at the world that God created, all of those, all of those systems, all of, those, all of that order, all of those principles, they work together organically. So, how many of you are organic gardeners? You, you, so, or, or versus chemical. So, in the Bible, do you know that, that God commanded that the land was to rest every seven years? You know why? Because if you, you plant it year after year after year, you deplete the land of its nutrients. And so, every seven years, they were to let the land lay fallow so that nature would replenish the nutrients that were in the soil. So when you plant again, you are able to absorb those nutrients through the stuff that you eat, and the plants are healthy. Well, today we don't do that because we lose money if we let the land sit fallow. So what we've done is create chemicals, and we pour chemicals all over the land so that we fool nature. The only problem is now they test our water and we have nitrates, and we have all kinds of things in our water because you really can't fool nature. You might fool it in one area, but you're, you're going to pay a price somewhere else, right? Well, God created the world and, and life to, to work in an organic way where nature itself provides all of that in a natural way. So when we talk about organic discipleship, what I'm talking about is there's a way that we're to just naturally live life together. There's not a step or steps you can follow, not, not really a formula you can follow. It's just this is the way life is supposed to look. And kind of like last night, you know, there's no formula that we have that says when Sunette's house burns down, these are the ten steps that you are to follow in order to effectively, no. You know, when the call comes, you just react. And how do you react? You, you react out of compassion. You react out of concern. When, when your family calls upon you, when your friends call upon you, what, you don't get your 10-step your booklet out and say, now, what am I supposed to do? They just called me. Let me look up this problem here. Let me go to my glossary here. No. You just you react. You you do it out of, out of love, right? You don't, might not even really know what you're doing. You might not know what you're going to do. What do you do when someone's house burns down? I don't know. You just go and be there with them. You let them cry, and you let them laugh, and you let them sit there in their pajamas, you know? And I mean, really, you know, that's what you do. And you'd let them know it's okay, you know? It's all right. But sometimes, you know, we feel compelled to have 
all the answers. Well, you know, a tragedy happened, or we see this oftentimes when someone dies, and it's like, well, I don't know what to say. Don't say anything. Just, just love them. Just hug them. Just say, I'm sorry. And don't worry about saying anything else. Just be there. So it's not a formula. It's, it's a lifestyle. So the model of discipleship is far less about a formula and far more about the natural process that takes place as we live life together in the context of our faith in Christ. So we're going to look at three, three aspects of this, three areas. We're going to look at the family, we're going to look at the church, and we're, we're going to look at the community. And we're going to look at this in, 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 a, in a certain way. So the foundational model of discipleship, I believe, begins in the family. If we don't have discipleship taking place in the family, it's going to be hard to have it taking place in the church. Because if we're only counting on what we can do for two hours on a Sunday morning or two hours on a Wednesday night uh, to affect discipleship, but it's not happening at home, that's kind of the problem in in our school system. Everybody expects these poor teachers to get these kids whipped into shape because they've got them all day, but then these kids go home and everything they may be taught and everything that's modeled for them and spoken in their lives, they go to a, an environment that's totally contrary to that. And so it, it's kind of hard because you've got these opposing... Well, that's kind of the way it is in the church. If we don't have these things being lived out in the family, first and foremost, as the foundation then it's going to become very difficult to affect that through a church service or through a program. So the foundational model of discipleship begins in the family. Husbands, fathers taking their place as the head of the family. Guys, you do know that's your role, right? You are the head of the home. Not because Pastor Jeff says that, but because the Scripture declares that. You are the head of the home. You're to love your wife, the way Christ loved the church. And and if you do that, then she's not going to have a problem submitting to your authority. So we have fathers leading. We have both parents training up children in the Lord. We have fathers and mothers both teaching by what they speak, but also by what they show. Leading, teaching by example through a lifestyle of faith. Does that mean, parents, you're perfect? No, because we're not perfect, right? And it's okay to let your kids know you're not perfect. So don't try to be perfect. Just be honest and be transparent and say, hey, you know, I'm not perfect. No one is. So we don't use these things as an excuse, as a cop-out. So we live this, we model this by example. So the family is established in truth, living and growing in Christ. So here's what a lot of people say. I've actually had people say this to me as we dialogue about some of these things. And so people say, well, are you, I know I was carrying on a conversation uh, online with someone, an extended conversation at one time with someone that lived in another state. And and this person asked me, he said, well, are are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. And they said, well, that right there was kind of like, well, well, that just kind of discredits your whole argument here. Because you know, it's really, uh, it's really an unrealistic expectation because to believe that, you know, that's just not the way families are today. You know, 33% of kids don't have a father in the home. And, and so your, re- your expectations of what a family should be are unrealistic. So your arguments or your beliefs or your method of or what you're promoting is totally discredited because that's that's not reality the facts are this and we have to deal with the facts so we always have this thing listen to me we always have this this dynamic where we have fact versus truth and what we've done in our society and what we've done in the church is we've looked at the facts And we said, oh, that's the facts. So the truth doesn't apply anymore because the facts now overshadow the truth. That's like saying, well, you know, uh, 
Jesus used to heal, but he doesn't heal anymore because my friend got sick and died. My family member got sick and died. So the fact is, they got sick and died, so God doesn't heal anymore. No, that's not, that's not true. The fact is, maybe that person did die, but the truth is, God is a healer. The fact is, families are dysfunctional because we have a dysfunctional society, because we, we have bowed and compromised the truth to the facts. So we don't preach and we don't teach the truth anymore because we say the truth is unrealistic. Well, it's unrealistic and it's antiquated and it's just plain old-fashioned and outdated to say, fathers, you're the head of your home. Who believes that anymore? Women are supposed to submit to their husbands. Who believes that anymore? I mean, you know, as I talk to to people about this, they're like incredulous that I would even believe that. It's like, what? What century are you living in? Don't you know we're in the 21st century? But see, are we going to believe the truth? Are we going to believe what God has declared in his word, or are we going to bow to the facts? And see, this is the problem in our society, in our culture. We've bowed to the facts. So we say, well, you know, the problem is, here's the problem. So we've got to deal with the problem from this point of view. Do you see that we keep sliding down this slope? So, well, the reality is kids can't learn to that degree anymore. They can't attain to that standard. So what we need to do is lower the standard so that they can attain. But what's happened is, little by little, we keep lowering the standard. And then we wonder why. Why are we lagging behind everyone in the world? We used to be first. Now we're somewhere way down in the middle of the pack. Why is that? Well, because we stop valuing what is true. And we begin to deal in relative terms. So it may be a fact that many families are dysfunctional, but does that mean we don't encourage dysfunction to conform to what is true? See, the truth will set you free. The facts can kill you. But the truth can set you free. So the foundational model of discipleship has got to begin in the family, and we can't use the excuse that, well, that just doesn't work anymore as a reason to not declare the truth, teach the truth, live the truth, model the truth, even if it challenges the things we have come to believe and embrace as factual. It will do that, but we've got to be committed to truth if we're going to see real change, a real transformation take place. So the foundational model of discipleship begins in the family. That foundational model of discipleship that begins in the family is strengthened in the church. So if we only preach it and teach it in the church, but it's not being lived in the family, then, then we're, not, we're going to have a, a problem here. So fathers and mothers, men and women, taking their place in the spiritual family. So we're not here to get into everybody else's business, but we are here to be an example or a model. There's that little baby right back there, my little grandson Noah. He's not even old enough right now. He doesn't understand what discipleship is, but he does understand what love is. He does understand when someone gives him attention, and how do I know? Because I can see the smile on his face. If you go up to him and you talk to him and you give him loving attention, he he responds in kind. Now, he, he doesn't know about the theology that we're talking about, and neither does any of the children at that age, but if they grow up in an environment where the interaction and the example that they're experiencing, that they're living, that they're seeing, that they're that they're interacting with is, is the right, is rooted and grounded in the truth, then what are they going to grow up believing? What are they going to grow up knowing? What are they going to grow up in turn living and manifesting through their own life? They're going to end up growing up, living and manifesting whatever has been their environment around them. So this is where when we say it's strengthened in the church, families, moms and dads, men and women, taking their place in the spiritual family, working together, training up 
spiritual children in Christ. And we say spiritual children, we're not talking about just little babies who aren't even a year old yet. Spiritual children may be someone 51 years old who just came to faith in Christ. That's a spiritual child. So we're not talking physical age, natural age only, though we do have a mandate that our natural children are raised in this way, not just in the home, but in the church. So mature believers leading and teaching the spiritual family, how? By example, by what they speak, but also the pattern they show themselves to be in the way they live their life. So the family is strengthened, living and growing in Christ. The foundational model of discipleship functions in the community. It begins in the family, it's strengthened in the church, it functions in the community. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Last night was an example. So we get there, it was awesome. All of Sunet's neighbors were out there. I mean, one neighbor took the bird, another neighbor took the dogs, I think uh, Marley's got the cat. But, you know, the neighbors were out there. Somebody made tea and somebody, you know, they let Sunette sit in the chair. And so then, you know, we're there. And I don't know if those neighbors were believers or not. They were compassionate people who were there for her. But they also saw that there were other people. And, And whether we realized it or not, there's a witness there. So there's a witness of how we come together, how we respond to one another, how we react in these situations. It doesn't have to be a fire. It doesn't have to be a tragedy. It can be anything. How you act or react, how you walk out your life or walk out your faith on the job, in, in, in any situation, in work, in play, it doesn't matter. How does discipleship function in the community? Believers finding a place in the community to be salt and light. So as we interact with the the, uh, firemen and the the fire chief last night, they're like, okay, well now, who are you? Well, I'm her pastor. Are you her family? Well, we're her spiritual family. You know, she doesn't have, uh, this is all the family she has, so, you know, we're her church family. Well, you know, that's, that's a witness, and so people in the community, we, we find ways we, that we're not even looking for. There's ways for you to be salt and light where you're not, you're not looking to be salt and light. You just all of a sudden find yourself in a situation, and guess what? You're salt and light. And you are being a witness to the community. Believers functioning in the community, manifesting the life of Christ. Believers embracing opportunities to lead and to teach by example. And when we do that, we see the family functioning, your kids functioning in school as disciples of Christ, your kids functioning with other children, with other families, or mom and dad, you functioning as what? As salt and light as you interact with others in the greater community. So this is the model of discipleship. It's not just in the family. It's not just in the church. It's not just, it's, it's in all of these because all of these are interrelated. So as I was thinking about this, and I, here I have family, church, and community, my temptation is to just make this like a little cycle. It cycles through these areas, but that's really an incorrect picture. So it's really more of an ecosystem. It's not the cycle of discipleship. It's more the ecology of discipleship. The definition of ecology is the study of the relations that living organisms have with respect to each other and their natural environment. The relations that living organisms have with respect to each other and their natural environment. Composition distribution, amount, number, how things change, how things react. This all happens in, a, in an ecosystem. Think about your garden at home. Someone asked me how my garden was doing. So my, my garden is growing. 
my small, very small garden is growing, and my tomato plants are about that big, and I've got, you know, green tomatoes about that big on there. Well, how did that happen? I mean, I wish I could draw you a picture. I, if I had a whiteboard, I'd draw you a picture. But if you just think about, you just think about a tomato plant. Think about a plant. What, what happened to make that tomato plant live and grow and be fruitful? I mean, there, are, there is, a, there is a, an interaction going on. There's sunlight hitting it. There's rain hitting it. There's nutrients being sucked up from the soil into the plant. There are bugs that are flying around and pollinating the little flowers that became the fruit. There's this interaction. There's photosynthesis taking place, and the, the plants are producing oxygen that we're breathing. So there's all of this give and take that's taking place. This is really the way discipleship is. See, when we think of like a cycle, it's too linear, it's too simplistic, it's too much in a straight line. It's, that's what I say, this is not about a formula. You can't script someone's house catching on fire. You can't script the tragedy or you can't script the, the great news of Dave and Sherry or grandparents. I mean, what a joyful occasion. I mean, it's everything that happens in our life. It's the joyful moments, it's the tragic moments, it's the, it's, the, it's the laughter, it's the pain, it's all of that. How we live life together, it's the give and the take. It's not just this neat, linear, simplistic cycle, it's everything. Who we are in Christ touches every aspect of our life. It affects every aspect, it's touched by every aspect. The things that happen around us influence us. God uses them. God uses them to work in our lives. Say, well, how would God use a fire to work in someone's life? Well, I promise you, He will. He absolutely will. Just like God's going to use a grandbaby to work in someone's... It changes your life. These things change your life. But do we believe and do we trust that, that God is the one that's in control? And, and if we trust Him, God will take these things, even the hard things, and He will change our lives for good. This is all part of what I'm talking about. So discipleship's not this neat little package. It's truly more likened to this system of life When we talk about family and church and community, discipleship doesn't flow in a neat line between those things. Discipleship flows in and out. It flows between, around, beneath, above, to, and from. This is the way discipleship works. This is how we learn and grow in the knowledge of Christ. So, as we grow up in the Lord, becoming and making disciples with one another, the the ecology or the culture of discipleship is sustained in and between the home, in the church, in the community. That's his life manifested, multiplied, and as Ephesians one twenty three says, him filling all in all. So God wants to fill the world around you with his life, the manifestation of his life, of his love, as you walk through this world. As you experience tragedy, as you experience the heights of joy, whatever it is, God is working through and in these things. This is the increase of His government and peace that we call the kingdom of God. And so what, we, what we're tempted to do is to take this institution called the church and take the programs and take the professional personnel This is what the pastor does. This is what the church does. I don't do this anymore. So what's happened is in the church is the same thing that's happened in our culture. Why don't parents educate their kids anymore? I'm not talking about you keeping your kid at home and homeschooling him. I'm saying why are so many parents totally dependent upon the system to educate their kid instead of recognizing that the system only supplements their education? Why are so many people dependent upon the church when in reality we're going to answer personally before God one day? 
I have a responsibility as your pastor to equip you for the work of ministry. But you have the greatest responsibility to become a disciple, to grow in the knowledge of Christ. What I'm doing is only supplementing that, is only reinforcing that, is only encouraging that. And so the church, the church was never meant to take or to undermine the responsibility of fathers and mothers, of families to disciple and teach their own children. Marketing can grow a church in number, but it will never transform a life. Programs can draw people, but programs will never change a person's life. So there's a reason we have air conditioning in here, because we want you to be comfortable, because you're more likely to come with air conditioning and comfortable chairs than not, right? But there's, there's a line that we can't cross. And the line we can't cross is, is the line where we begin to compromise truth for the sake of fill in the blank. You can't do that. We can't do that. So the church is not an institution, but a living organism. The church exists to maintain a flow of life between the members of the body and the head who is Christ. And this is why church isn't something you can just do on your own. Any more than your head, shoulders, knees, and toes can function alone apart from your body. They can't do it. Y'all know that song? Head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. See, if Ephraim was here, he'd, he'd show y'all. Our head, shoulders, knees and toes can't function. They weren't created to function apart. They were created to function joined to one another in the life that flows through our body. From Christ, our head. So we're created to function as one body joined together in his life. Christ is our head. We are his body. This is who we are. Listen, this is who we are whenever we come together doing whatever it is we do. So if we go to Miss Bussy's house and cut a big tree down, we're being the body of Christ together. We're functioning as the body. We come next Saturday and eat breakfast tacos together. And it doesn't appear as though we're doing anything very spiritual. I mean, what's spiritual about breakfast tacos, right? What, well, what's spiritual about cutting down a tree? Maybe nothing technically in and of itself, but, but the way we live life together, the things that we do, it can be very spiritual. It is very spiritual. If we understand the reality of, of who we're called to be. So the nature of discipleship is organic. So our children don't learn their behavioral traits because we sit down and teach them how to exactly behave, right? They learn by watching and observing us in their own behavior. In, in the book of Exodus, the Bible talks about the iniquities of the fathers being passed down in the third and fourth generation. That word iniquity is not the word sin. The word sin is a different word. And so, dads, if you have anger issues and you demonstrate those anger issues before and to your kids all of their lives, guess what your kid's going to grow up with? He's very likely to grow up with an anger issue. This is the iniquity. That word iniquity means the perverse character. It speaks of the character of a person. What character you model is the character that you're child is going to learn. So dad, if you have anger issues, more than likely your, your child is going to have anger issues. This is why things like physical abuse, spousal abuse, child abuse, divorce, these are generational because these are learned behaviors. They're modeled. This is what you're modeling. And this is why Paul says, speak and show yourself. Don't just tell. So mom, if you're impatient, Guess who's also going to be impatient? Your children will. So you can teach your children to be peaceful and patient all day long, but here's the reality. If you're not living it and modeling it yourself, your empty words will produce what? They're going to produce frustration and rebellion in your children. And this is why the Bible says 
Discipleship is not just about telling. It's show and tell. It's show and tell. We learn from one another as we live with one another, as we interact with one another, as we are in relationship with one another. As we live life together, we should be opportunistic in those teaching moments, those spontaneous times when we have the opportunity to impart truth or life lessons or simple skills in a very natural and spontaneous way. There's a way we can be both spontaneous and purposeful. Amen? Growing and living in family is the place we learn most, whether we realize it or not. So we're talking about family being the foundation of discipleship begins in the family. It's in the family that we learn our most valuable lessons. It's not through special events or special programs. Those are exceptions. We learn through living life. We don't send our kids to fork and spoon school. We don't send them to eating utensil day camp to learn to use utensils to eat. They grow up watching us use forks and spoons. We give them a fork and a spoon. They make a huge mess, but eventually they learn to do it. There's no day camp. There's no book you can read, six easy steps to your child mastering the fork. No. But that's what we want to turn church into. That's what we want to make discipleship, and that's not what it is. That's not the biblical model. It's us living life together. It's messy sometimes. Ecosystems are messy. It's messy, but it works if we're patient. How many of you planted your tomato bushes? You know, you went and you bought them, they're about that big. And about three weeks later, you went and you cut them down because you didn't have any red ripe tomatoes. So I waited three weeks. They didn't give me anything. So I pulled them up, threw them in the burn pile. Why didn't you do that? You say, well, Pastor Jeff, you've got to be patient. Why can't we be patient when we talk about spiritual things? Why can't we see the big picture and understand how God is working in everything? So we're not, we'll let our tomato plant sit there until, I mean, I mean, it becomes obvious, you know, these things ain't going to produce any fruit. Why aren't you pulling up? Well, I'm, you know, I'm still hoping that maybe, maybe in the fall, you know, they'll come around. Okay. But why can't we do that with one another in terms of walking out our faith and living out our faith with one another? That's what the scripture calls us to do. This is what we do as family. This is what we do in families. There's a reason, parents, you haven't, you haven't cut off ties with your kids. That You have endless love and patience with them. Why? Because they're your children and you love them. We are the family of God. This is what we're to model and demonstrate to the world around us. And the world around us said, man, look at those Christians. They are something else. Not because we tell them we're something else, but because we demonstrate not only with our words, but how we show ourselves to be a pattern of good works. So it's in living life every day, the good, the bad, the ugly, the easy, the challenging, the mundane, that we learn the skills we will need most in life. Purposefully and organically doing this with one another in faith is what the Bible calls discipleship. It's in normal daily life that our greatest spiritual, listen, Our greatest spiritual, intellectual, and emotional education takes place. This is where truth is applied to where we live life. You can read all the books you want about how to do all of these things, but you're never going to know how to apply it until you actually do it. You can read the manual about how to replace the radiator on your car, but you're never going to really learn how to do it until you actually get out there and skin your knuckles and strip some bolts and break some things. And, And then when it's all said and done... You know, after you've cursed having to be your own mechanic. But when it's all said and done, you're, you, you, hey, I replaced the radiator in my car. Dave knows about that. Dave went to St. Louis with us one time, and we had to replace the radiator in the car in the parking lot of the apartment that the boys were living in. It wasn't fun. But we learned something that we wouldn't have never learned by reading a book Because we actually had to do it. That's the way life is. So this is true in the family of God. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, 
life groups, whatever, these gatherings should be supplementing, strengthening, and reinforcing what is already taking place in our homes and in our families. So do you guys know what a catalyst is? A catalyst is a substance that, in a real simple term, it, it, it's a substance that causes a reaction or a rate of reaction to take place. And so families are, have to be, they are a catalyst for discipleship. They must be. Families must become a catalyst of discipleship. The more families are committed to discipleship, the greater the rate of reaction called transformation will be. We wonder why our society, why our nation is in a mess, and we think we put a different guy in the White House, we're going to fix it. We vote everybody out of Congress and put all new people in there, well, our problem's going to be fixed. No, it's not. Because the problem's not up here. The problem is down here at the ground level, at the grassroots level. We've got a disease at the grassroots level. And if we don't deal at the grassroots level, we can dress the top of this thing every four years, every two years, and and it's not going to change. So where do we address it at the grassroots level? It begins in the family. So this is why families have to become a catalyst for transformation. Families must begin to seek opportunities to interact with one another in the home, with other families in the church, with those in the community, for these important reasons. Because when we do this as families, when the foundation, when we understand that the foundation of discipleship begins in the family, then we build, strengthen, and encourage our, our own families in our own homes. That's got to begin there. We need to do these things to build strength and encourage other families in the church. So it's not just my four and no more, but, but what God's doing in and through my life has to also have an impact on other families. So this is why we come together. This is why the Bible says, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. We come together considering one another, provoking one another to love and good works. We're going to go have a meal together in a few minutes. And EJ said, please don't forget to tell them, go over there, sit down, just chill out for about 10 minutes. It's going to take about 10 minutes to get the, the, the bread and everything ready so it's nice and hot and ready to go, okay? But we're going to go over there and we're going to have a meal together. Not just because we're hungry, but because it's an opportunity to build a relationship, to fellowship with one another. So to build and strengthen and encourage other families in the church, to build and strengthen and encourage other families in the community. You know families around you, families you live by, families you work with, families you, you're in clubs with, your kids go to, you know, whatever, they play ball or they're in sports or they're in karate or, you know, reading group, whatever. I mean, there's other families that we associate with. How do we touch those families? How do we reach those families? Well, it, it's got to begin by us being an example, modeling, not just telling them, like, well, if you don't believe in Jesus, you do know you're going to go to hell, right? I mean, that's not really the way to do it. They do need to know that if they don't trust in Jesus, they will not have eternal life. There's a way to do that. It can't just be our words, though. It must be our words, but it must also be how we live our life how we model that. How do we model our own trust in Christ? So we do these to create, through obedience, a culture of biblical discipleship. This creates an environment of ongoing and pervasive spiritual transformation that will eventually spill over into our communities. Is it going to happen quickly? Absolutely not. This is why James says, be like the patient farmer who waits and endures knowing that when the former and the latter rains come, eventually it will come. Or what Paul said to the Galatians, let us not grow weary while doing good, for if we do not faint, if we do not lose heart, we shall reap in due season. The problem is we lose heart, we faint, and we compromise truth based on the facts around us. And then we wonder why we're not reaping a righteous harvest. We are reaping the whirlwind. Is what's happening because we've sown 
to the flesh instead of to the spirit. So families take the lead. This is, this is my challenge to families, that families would take the lead, that you are a vital part of the body of Christ. Don't segregate what you do from what the church does because you are the church. So families, don't wait for the church to plan your activities. But when you do plan your activities, include the church. Families, don't wait for the church to plan your outreach. But when you plan an outreach, include the church. Don't wait for the church to reach your neighbors. But when you reach out to your neighbors, understand that you are being the church. Don't wait for the church to reach and disciple your family. Parents don't depend on the church to be the greatest spiritual influence in your child's life. You, parent, must be that. So because of who you are, include the rest of the body as a part of what you do. And this is something that we've always done. You know, as a family, we used to, every July, we would go to Garner State Park and go camping. We just did it as a family. It wasn't a necessarily a church event, but you know what? When we would plan to go camping as a family, us and another family, the, us and the Bennetts would go every July. We'd go camping. But you know what we would do? We would invite. We'd say, hey, you know, we would just invite anyone that could come. You know, or kids. There would be kids, and we... We would invite those kids, and we'd say to the parents, hey, you guys are welcome to come too. You know, oftentimes the parents would just send the kids. But, but what I'm saying is, you know, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't necessarily something that was put on the church calendar. This is a church event. No, this is just what we do. We're a family that goes camping, and we go camping. Hey, anybody's welcome to come along. So we don't go out there with the purpose of, we don't have a schedule that says, okay, you know, at 8 o'clock in the morning, we're going to have devotion time, and we're going to have... You know, no, we don't do that. We just go camp. We have fun. We hike. We swim. We tube. We act silly. We are goofy. We build a fire at night. We just do fun things. Say, so, well, it doesn't sound very spiritual, Pastor Jeff. Well, it all depends on your perspective. If it's... If, it, if you mean we're not dealing with very many theological principles and teaching, and sitting down and teaching, yeah, you're right, it's not. But if we're talking about living life together, and loving one another, and, and just, you know, hey, when Pastor Jeff fell down and skinned his knee in the river, he didn't come out of the water cursing. He came out of the water laughing. Or maybe, when Pastor Jeff couldn't find his particular tool, he really got frustrated. He got kind of angry. You know, Pastor Jeff, just a normal guy. So how do we take these things? You know, are we trying to pretend that we're something we're not? Or can we just be who we are? And can we show the good, the bad, and the ugly? I mean, this is how we live life together. So how do we teach one another? And how do we teach our children? Whether they're ours or children that God's entrusted into our care in the spiritual family. So when you reach out to other families and individuals, you're not only providing fun and fellowship for yours and others, but you're teaching and encouraging your family and others that this is how we live life together as the church. Dads and moms, your first priority of ministry is to your own family, but not apart from the church and not to the exclusion of others. Purpose to make, listen, purpose to make your family a catalyst for discipleship. Share your life with others. Share your time, share your talent, share your treasure, share your home, share yourself, and what is yours. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to walk out organic discipleship in the kingdom of God. This is how we exhort one another through life. This is how we do it. We do it through life, in living life together. Amen? Now, we're going to take a break. Next week, we're going to have Harvey and Sherry. When we come back, the following week, we're going to pick up in verse 9, where Paul says, exhort bond servants to be obedient. We're going to talk about discipleship, servanthood, and the marketplace. Okay? How, we, how do we live this? Not just in the context of our families and the church, but 
How do we live this in the workplace? How do we live this beyond the walls of the church, beyond the walls of our home? Amen? Let's all stand. I gave you a lot. I pray you heard what I had to say today. Families, I would encourage you. Pray about how God would use you as a catalyst of discipleship. First, in your own home. But how God could use you to touch others. Other families in the church. Other families that you have been given opportunity to be in contact with in whatever capacity. Father... We thank you that you, in your grace, Lord, have saved us. Lord, I pray, Lord, for every person here that has put their trust in Jesus Christ, has become a child of God, every individual, every family represented here, God, that you would cause us to understand that our commission, our mandate, is to make disciples. Lord, we can't make disciples until we become disciples. That doesn't mean we have to master everything and be perfect in everything, but Lord, do we have a heart? Do we have a heart to follow Jesus? Do we have a heart to take up our cross daily and follow you? In the good, the bad, the ugly, the hard, the challenging, in the midst of our greatest joy, in the beauty of all that's around us, Lord, do we have a heart to follow you. And as we do, God, I pray that you would show us how to not only tell that to others, but more importantly, God, that you would help us learn what it means to show ourselves to be a pattern of good works, to be a disciple in the way we live our life. Lord, that we would trust you, that you would work by your Spirit, that we would open our mouths and boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ. That we would not fear men. Lord, we don't need to be offensive for the sake of being offensive, but that we would never compromise the truth. That we would open our mouths and speak with boldness the word of God. And watch the power of God work through the gospel to bring transformation to people's lives. Father, help us. Help us, Lord, to live that. Help us to be a catalyst in this community for real transformation in the hearts and minds of people. Be glorified in your body. Be glorified in your church. Be glorified at Christ's fellowship and in our lives.